I work for a small wine company, and he's Luke Morris. And I, I've been run, raising money for uh, cerebral palsy research since September. It's really good. And together, we are Luke's Talk Wine, who talk all things wine and booze and popular culture. Think when to drink, why we drink it, and the culture that surrounds drinking. Hello, Luke. G'day, Campbell. How's it going, mate? Yeah, pretty well, thank you. This week, we are staring down the barrel of Season 3, Episode 10. Oh, crikey. And what, well, and where have we been? This week's topics for us is the must-try white varieties for summer. We've got a listener question from Dean in Rye in Victoria. Dean writes a question that a few listeners, other than my mum and Shieldsy, might be interested in. <laughs> you got to say Shieldsy with a Z, mate. That's his name. Get his name right. How <laughs> did we get into wines? Oh. Um, which is a great question, actually, that not a lot of people would know how we came to be in our chosen professions one way or another. So we'll answer that question for Dean, and we'll get to the bottom of the top trying white varietals for summer and as always with every week we love to start the program with this question to you Mori. what has been happening in your wine world this week pal um i it was the afl grand final on the weekend and uh, so the last few days have been walking around because i was in sydney walking around sydney finding little wine bars and things like that. And I popped into like, I think of three different establishments on Saturday during the grand final. Um, And one of them had a a fairly good array of Sydney's New South Wales based wines. One of them had um, an array of wines that were listed as, I think they were listed as Southeastern Australia. (laughs) Uh, That classic GI. Oh, um, yeah, that old chestnut. Uh, it, it really got my um, steps up for the uh, cerebral palsy fundraiser September. Um, probably just stepping a, a couple of extra paces here and there, back and forth, to and from the toilet. That kind of stepping, lots of hot stepping. But mm-hmm. it was it was great to actually. Uh, she loves your wine bar. Give them a shout out because they had a good array of um, New South Wales based wines. And I love hearing that. Who was the other one? The Australian. Oh, I think yes. was 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 fairly good with its um, selection. There was somebody else. Hang on, I'm going to check courthouse? my notes. You mentioned the courthouse last week. The Cordy was good. I'm trying to remember somebody else. I think it might have been the Rose. There was someone who had just like this odd. Just all of a sudden, I walked in there because I don't think the Australian. You've been there. Mm. I'm sure, Campbell. With, with the Australian, like, it is an upstairs, downstairs, on a corner. It had the Swannies games on two big screens outside and inside. It was it was packed to the rafters. And the thing was, when I looked it up um, online to see where we were going, it had a, a, a note tag that said uh, food menu, and you click on that and it's a way of pizzas. And then the other one said wine list, and I clicked on that, and it had a full list of different types of beer and no wine. wine. And I thought, oh, this is a bit of a disconnect. Some of whoever built the websites 
overlooked something here. <laughs> but then while this was quite good, when you turned up, it was quite good. I, I, I wasn't expecting it to actually have a, a list like that, but no, it was good. And tell me about your first expression or experience rather than e expression of the, the now infamous, famous New South Wales beer of choice, Reshers. I did not like that one bit. <laughs> you put me up the garden path with that. I went to the Everly Hotel and I asked for a pot, uh, not a pot, a schooner of Reshers. And the guy behind the bar just sort of, he gave me that sort of look where I just knew that I had lost all sense of respect that I could have had with my oh. first order. He was not impressed. He was like, Reshers. sure. Reshers is a classic, like particularly for New South Wales. That is a, a hardened drink you know that used to come in the silver bullet the original silver bullet uh was the what's that um, what's the silver bullet it sounds like something you, you sniff a nang out of what is, what's the <laughs> silver bullet the silver bullet was a 700 mil thick steel can 700 of, mils yep, of that of, of pure drinking beer pleasure um Man, that sounds like a sort of thing you just you, you pack a few into your aeroplane and you bomb whatever country you're invading just to <laughs> knock them out. That doesn't sound good. Well, there is a lot of worse things to drink than rushes, Mike. You got to send oh, a hot. You got to send a shipment of it over to Ukraine and help those boys and girls <laughs> and then all I'm in between. Sorry, I had an unpleasant experience, uh, but that, oh, that and the... and the other thing about the Everly, I'll, I'll, I'll highlight the Everly. The menu, the food was really really good. Okay, Everly, your food menu and your food itself really really good. But then I walked inside to order the one New South Wales wine they had there on their wine list, and the guy was like, "No, we don't have that." It's no, like it's stop. written there in print. It's like no. <laughs> like, oh, okay. <laughs> what do you have? The others. <laughs> Unbelievable. But uh and so so concludes your sojourn to Sin City. It's a great oh, thing. You know nobody calls it that, Camel. <laughs> Hi, this is Luke Morris from Luke's Talk Wine. I've written some books, so visit LukeMorrisha.com.au. Go there, see the books, buy one, support the podcast. That's Luke Morris Ha. Dot com .au, L -U -K -E -M -O -R -R -S -H -A .com .au. Have a great day. So must try white varieties for summer. What's come across your purview, Luke Morris? There's um, something beating down your door that people must try for summer. Um, yeah, I've just discovered where I'm working. I'm not going to just fold too much because I don't know how free I am to speak. But uh, uh, 2015 aged Hunter Semyon. Ooh, hello. I, I, 96 points from Halliday. I haven't had it yet, but it looks it looks an absolute treat. I don't know. Would you say 2015 is aged? I, when do you start referring to a wine as being aged, Campbell? Yeah, well, I guess, you know, seven, eight years old, I, I guess probably, you know, if, if a wine, yeah, at, at that point, it used to be 10 in, you know, the going concern in the industry was 10 years of age, a wine becomes age. But now I think there seems to be this underwhelming, I like to say, move towards anything that's aged is five years and over. 
That's the stuff. See, that's but five years is some current releases. Like that's when yeah. they release the wine. If you think about Paulette's Riesling, for instance, and I know you've been tucking into some, that, that's oh. four, four or five years for them is their current release stuff. Speaking of good white wines to get, get some Paulette's Riesling. That's off topic, but gosh, that's good stuff. Uh, Riesling's never off topic here on Luke's Talk. <laughs> Neither is Semyon, so I'm, I'm loving the fact that you put Semyon to the 4A. I am going back to an oldie but a goodie. And I can, can, a... Sorry, just to, just to keep in the Semyon bubble there for a moment. Yes. Sorry to interrupt before you change, but um, I you're going to hate this, but I have a list of customers, and one of the one of the criterias for my customers is alt-white alt wines, mm. and that's usually all the alt white wines we'll, we'll we'll probably talk about those in a second but mm. i i sent a, an email about this semion i found to them thinking is it still feels like a wine a straight semion isn't front and center in very many people's minds no nope. and it's it's unfair it is unfair do you, th- do you think, Luke Morris, people don't yet understand Semyon? Uh, does anyone understand Semyon, Campbell? <laughs> the people of Porto do. The people of Sauterne do. The, oh, the wine collectors oh. who have embraced Andrew Thomas Braymore single vineyard wine for 30 years do. Like... Gee, that you, the, thing is, the, the three things you've just said make Semyon sound like one of the most diverse... Um, awesome grapes on the planet. Every vineyard should have some because it does sticky, it does blends, it does it stands up to time. But what 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 are they missing? Why why do you think it's under? It's not noticed. Well, the the that the only conclusion I can draw is the one previously mentioned is people just don't understand it. Okay. Hmm. That, that as a table wine. As a table wine. Uh, yeah, I'm not talking about once they put it in their soda stream and make it fizzy. Everyone understands that. <laughs> of course you do. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's a, I was not even. Why do you even bring it up? It's obvious. That's obvious. <laughs> but as a semion, yeah, semion. So it's a real. It's it's something you don't see all the time as a as a straightforward. Or I mean, I, obviously it is actually. That's 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 wrong, but it's just. I don't know. I don't see it as much as I think I should see it. Yeah. Well, it's not like Chardonnay that's everywhere or Semillon Blanc. No, no. I mean, I mean, obviously, you know, I'm born and raised in the Hunter. I collect Semillon. I drink Semillon. I love Semillon. But I don't see it as much as what I should be either. Yeah. Every wine list I like and every wine list I write, I try. It's it's a, it's become a game now. I always, <laughs> I always list the Hunter Semillon then I go in for the meeting with the owners or the the, the beverage directors or whatever to the venues I'm consulting with and working with, and it's always the first wine that gets struck off. Ah, no. Whatever or whether. I even try and sneak it in there as a blend now, you know, the old SSB from Margaret River. Nah, we'll get rid of that. We'll never sell that. It's like, what? It's got semi-on in it. Yep. <laughs> nah, off. This, this is a 30-year-old vineyard on perfect sand. It's glort. Nah, off. But this is the, this is the weird know. thing about tastemakers. But you know, the the the, the, the the restaurant thinks they're an influencer or something. I don't know. They they're trying to dictate what people like. 
Yeah, I think if we list it, if we list it, we expose more people to it, Luke Morris, more people will drink it. Uh, it's one of those things that flies off the shelf once you get it in their glass. What else? I should probably change topics because uh, what, what, yeah, what? Sure. I am um, absolutely, I am going back to go forward. I'm loving a little bit of Vionia at the moment. Um, you know, I'm loving a little bit of Grenache Blanc, whether, oh. whether it's from the Rioja or whether it's from McLaren Vale or wherever you can get your hands on a bit of Grenache Blanc. People Who's making over. Grenache Blanc in Australia? Who's doing that? Yeah, the, the guys at Yangara do it in McLaren. Um, there's a couple of people doing it now, and it's just throwing up that those fleshy, fleshy white orchid fruit. Little, you know, velvety texture, that kind of thing. Re- really good. Look out for it, people. Love a Grenache Blanc. But, you know, it doesn't have to be from Rioja, obviously. It can be from Australia. Uh, South America do a bit of Grenache Blanc as well. Yes, they do. And South Africa? South Africa. Yep. Yeah. Um, oh, I'm thinking of Chenin Blanc. Yeah, you're thinking of Chenin Blanc. Yeah, Chenin Blanc also get involved. Uh, Riesling omnipresent here on Luke's Talk Riesling. You can't forget <laughs> that. If you haven't discovered Riesling yet, like Semyon, get on board. The other thing, um, you know, I, I think they're often great, great value are those um, whites from the centre of Italy, um, whether they be Vidicchio or... Uh, Ribaldiara, these are all textural whites from the centre of Italy. Um, usually little to no oak, some of them made in tank. Very, very cheesy, very, very textural, very, very yummy. Oh, yum. Um, but, I, you know, don't shy away from things like Chenin Blanc. Don't shy away from things like Viognier. If, you, if you've got over these wines, go back and revisit them. I think there are some amazing wines to look out there for. But yeah, Can you say revisit thing? Are you saying because someone might have had a dodgy example once before and now they don't go back to them? Or what? Yeah, well, I say, I say Bionia. Like, I recently had an experience, you know, someone just served me a glass of Bionia and I was like, oh, this is delicious. And I was remembering the last diabolical Bionia that I had and I thought, oh, I need to. I need to have. I need more Viognier in my life. So what I, was know, what was what was the what was the difference between those two wines? What what was di- What was good and what was diabolical? That, not specifically the winery, but the uh, not to because I don't want to shoot anybody in the foot. But no. what what about the, the wine? The diabolical white wine that I had several years ago was fat and waxy Viognier that didn't really display any varietal character at all. Hot. This, this Viognier, however, was all kind of orange rind and oily and um, white fruits and kind of those kind of candied nuts and textural and we were just bound by this lovely phenolic beauty that I was just in awe of. So you, um, some of those words make me make me think of Gewurztraminer. Ooh, yes, yes. Well, Gewurztraminer can be quite oily in its day. It gets a little bit more floral and spicy. Yeah. Uh, but but same, I reckon people have probably written off Gewurz as a one-trick pony as well. Um, That's the, that, is, that is one of the amazing things because not enough people, maybe it's just because of all the BYOs, like uh, Thai restaurants and Chinese restaurants and all those restaurants, lots of them are BYOs, and if they had to put it in a wine list, maybe more people would be drinking Gewurz because you'd have to have that on the list as something that goes with their food. Yeah, well, Gewurztraminer is funny. Not a lot of people can spell it. A lot of people can't pronounce it. Really, it's just ye olde spice garden from Germany. So not people, 
a lot of people don't. I think it's up to people like us to educate that. It literally translates into spice garden, which is reflective of the juice in the bottle. Oh, yeah. But a lot of people uh, don't know that, so they shy away from it. Unlike Semyon, which just rolls off the tongue. <laughs> <laughs> and, and people still aren't buying. Maybe. What's the problem? <laughs> My goodness. Hey, but um, moving on, there's a couple of great varieties there that people can visit over summer and just get some great value in, which is excellent. Thanks, Mori. But uh, the question, the listener question this week is from Dean from Rye in Victoria. And he asked the question, how did you get into wines? And I took this as not so much how do we start our lifelong pursuit of booze hounds, but more so what got us into the the drinking sphere of wine. And uh, depending on how you took that question, Murray, you might like to answer first. Uh, well, yeah, my, my first job was basically because my brother's a winemaker and he wanted to plant a vineyard. And it was my summer holidays from school. And... <laughs> I got conscripted <laughs> and uh, then after that I was like, I need, I need more work. I can't just, you know, I need to, I need to get a job. And then I got offered through that another job in the wine trade. And I was just, that's, it's, uh, I, I honestly just see it as a, a, the trade that I've, I've learned. I, um, uh, I, yeah, I got conscripted into the wine trade and had to keep, funding my um addiction to uh working in the arts <laughs> um and give, yeah give your brother's winery a shout out as we should nah stuff him how did you get into the wine trade <laughs> well not a very dissimilar story actually you know as a youth growing up in a wine region you know wanting to buy a you know, wanting to earn some money and buy maybe buy a car or something one day. And yeah, I remember it was at one point I tried to borrow some money of, I think it was dad actually. And he's like, oh, I, I think we've got to, I think we've got to find you a job, son. And I was like, what, what? <laughs> huh? Uh, and being lived in and surrounded by vineyards and, and vignerons. And uh, pretty soon I was uh, picking grapes stomping around vineyards, cleaning out vats. And, um, yeah, I, I probably did a few vintages, I guess, 16, 2000. Uh, what, what, I would don't, have been. Don't 15. say 2016. That would make me very I, young. I, I, no, I was thinking I would have been 15. And so I did, yeah, the ages of 15, 16 and 17, I worked in vineyards, various vineyards around the Hunter and just got some cash together. And I think by the time I got into the workforce, as a failing graphic artist, I was working in bars and, and, and things like that. And people just assumed that I knew wine, really. I didn't know anything about it. But what got me into wines was the fact that apart from being forced to go and earn a living as a teenager, um, my, my father, he, he, he had a love of wine and he there was always wine open. We were never ever allowed to drink it but we were always <laughs> always allowed to taste it you know like and that was kind of pretty important for me you know mum and dad i reckon for a lot of years particularly when i was younger i reckon mum and dad had a bottle of wine a night like it seemed like that um yeah. you know so that would have been two or three glasses each for them in the day and yep 
um, you know, and it would have started, it would have got open at five o'clock and went through dinner and went through the news and the ABC news and maybe a cricket update or something. And then at dinner time, we're allowed to smell and, and, and taste it. It was, there was always a discussion. It was usually from the hunter. Most of the time, the odd Coonawarra or Barossa Red might sneak into the table. From what time was to time. so? Was the interesting one from your father's side? Was what was that? Just because again, was it a, a family cultural thing, or did he have a a spark? Uh, yeah. Well, he, he he was a he was a, well he was a criminal lawyer that then moved to the country and set up a practice in licensing. So he had to uh, he he got a lot of. Um, licenses for the, the the farmers and vineyards to trade uh, okay so he knew a whole heap of winemakers and but when he was working on the criminal side he was he was a country solicitor and his next door neighbors were italian and they had a huge influence on him as far as drinking wine and wine having a place yeah. at the family table it also sounds like a classic farmer sort of thing of uh i haven't got 50 bucks but here's a case of wine yes you know. It was, uh, yeah, there was there was lots of that. But that kind of really, um, you know, that really got passed down to us and, and as it does to, to my family as well. Like we we often, we probably don't have a bottle at night, but towards the end of the week, my wife and I might have a bottle on the table. And, and yeah, like my boys are never allowed to drink it, but they're going to always smell it or and help us discuss it. Absolutely. Yeah. So they, they, they normalise... Uh... That alcohol is a thing. It's not a um a party drug. It's just a a thing. Yeah. And and, and I think it really, uh, for me, that was positive. Like I was never one. I didn't understand that whole kind of go out and get written off. That's entrenched in society. Like, yeah. By the same token, I I think that was probably because I always had access to booze, Mori. Um. So yeah, I didn't, as you say, I didn't consider it a party drug. It was just there. It was something else. And I enjoyed and still do enjoy my relationship with it. And that's really yeah. how I got into wines. Yeah. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. Just the, um, uh, but what, and you have talked about before that you had, was it at the first wine you purchased was a Semillon and you, and that opened your eyes to how interesting wine could be? Uh, the, the, some of the first wines I put in my cellar were actually Wins Kunawara. Some of the first wines. Yeah, but why did you? Why were you even interested? I mean, apart from the fact that you, you know, you can earn a trade in it. What? Would, why did you care? Oh, what, why did I, I? I really cared about the 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 story, like I working in vineyards and picking grapes and plunging vats. I quickly realised the effort that these winemakers were were putting in. These women and men were giant storytellers and custodians of a land that just delivered so much. And I think that, or fruit, pardon the pun, that... Yeah. Um, yeah, it just became extraordinary. and The romance of them putting all that effort into the bottle. Yeah. And just and at the end of the day, it gets poured into a glass and either discussed or alternatively not even thought about it but consumed, 
you know, like, yeah, that was that, that, and that helped me. So then, yeah, I did. I started to buy and sell a Semion in particular because that's where I was and the different expressions. I'd worked at, I'd worked at Tyrrell's, I'd tasted broken wood. I'd, you know, sh shared some of these old wines from Lindemann's. I'd tasted wines made by Carl Stockhausen and they were all so, so very different and very different layers and, and it just kind of, Un unraveled and it was you know and then obviously by that time you you got the love bug and you deep in the <laughs> want to drink semillon from bordeaux and you want to drink semillon from margaret river that's blended with sauvignon blanc and it just escalates from there then you discover shiraz and oh my god you know so and then yeah that interest to keep learning yeah it just became it became a thirst for the story rather than the the glass at the end of the day it was just wow the story do you think but is it really always about the story because if you go to a tasting and there is like 18 semions or you know you get semion from Barossa and mclaren vale and uh, the bordeaux and all over the place just doing a tasting isn't really that's just smelling fruit in a in a glass do you know what i mean yeah, totally. Unfortunately, nowadays, no, it's not always about the story. If I attend a tasting, I'm generally looking for something, whether it be for a wine list or an offer for our vinified members or whether to fill a gap in someone's cellar. Like if I attend a tasting, I'm generally there for a purpose. Um, you know, like, yeah, that answer the question. Like, is it, is it always about the story? No, it's not always about the story anymore, unfortunately. Yeah, so, so it, it it becomes more technical. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, every business has its moment where it starts um, getting too. T I'm, I'm speaking of other podcasts, as I've already mentioned before. I do a podcast called Dissecting a Frog, which is about comedy writing and production, and uh, that that quote comes from uh, E. B. and Catherine Wright, who wrote a, a, a comment saying. Uh, Comedy is like dissecting a frog. If you analyse it too much, they both die. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, and so you can, but on the surface, it's just supposed to be fun. It's just supposed to be, like you said, the story and the, and the enjoyment. But then you got to get more detailed and more detailed, and then you've, and that is the human nature of being inquisitive and finding out more things. And then you become specialised, and then you got to write tasting notes on 18 different semions from the hunter yeah it, it wasn't until much later in my career that i kind of f f fell into wine if you will like you know I, I, I after those vineyards i kind of i was toying with the idea of either being a, a, a graphic artist or even an architect at one stage and i popped in and popped out of uni and and you know always went back to the bars you know i i, I bought and sold a, a business before i really thought right i need to go and study wine this is my career i need to get into the wine game ah so that's but, the that's the that's the interesting thing what when did you decide i've got to give these other things up to pursue this i was probably a decade into my working life before i really did that and it was just because you just kept finding that was the thing you were always drawn to. Well, yeah, wine and the story and uh, the, 
the characteristic. Obviously, a decade in, by that time, the whole world had opened up. I'd drunk, you know, Pinots from New Zealand and I'd taken, I'd tasted champagne from France and I'd tasted Valpolicella from Italy and, and you know, so... The, and I tasted Rieslings from Germany, oh, my Lord. Um, <laughs> and so the, the wine world was well and truly open and I was like, you know, for me to succeed or for me to pursue this as, as a profession, I need to get educated on a technical level. Yeah. Mm. Oh, yeah. Oh, to, if people were interested, then you can get educated through the point of master of wine at the moment these days. And I remember speaking to someone, I might have mentioned this before, speaking to someone who is a master of wine, but they said they could never go through the tests that people have to do these days because it's become so specialised and you got to know clones and soil pHs and all kinds of hugely in-depth things. I don't know if that's all a good thing. Well... You lose the zest and the verve for life at that stage. <laughs> <laughs> hey, mate, you, you had a bit of an interlude there. I know you've been drinking Reshes, but at this time of the program every week, I ask you, as you ask me, what have you been drinking this week? Uh, you reminded me. I sent a photograph in some group chat, I think, somewhere. Uh, the, uh, what was it, Paulette's? I think it was 2017 Paulus Weasling. Oh my goodness, yes. And that's current vintage. Sat out in a back garden with, with a mate and had, uh, I think it was crocodile riglets or whatever it is. Crocodile riglets? Uh, yeah. And uh, wow. those, those tiny, tiny toasts. You know those tiny toasts? I do, yeah, yeah. You get some... those tiny toasts. I always want more. They, they, well, you, can, you can get a whole pack of them. Like, get two packs, then you've got enough. Uh, they're fantastic. I had, they had those and the reasoning and, and sat back in the sun, and that was enjoyable. That was really good. Life's made in the shade. I suppose, yeah, I should have put a hat on. But as it was, <laughs> it, we'd had a few days of uh, wetness. I'd gone to the Wollongong uh, World Champion shot Cycling uh, the yes. previous day. And was looking forward to being dry, so <laughs> it was a it was a good afternoon. That's a good wine. They make good mm. stuff. How about you, mate? What are you getting into, mate? I was getting into, and I still am getting into the Grenache, the Claren Hills Grenache. Recently, I interviewed uh, on our Thirsty Thursday program live our monthly interview. I interviewed Alex from Claren Hills, and just it took me on a. a a fervent mission to drink as much Grenache in the week as I could just in preparation. <laughs> I, drink, I, drink, uh, I drink quite a lot. You know, I drink the odd bottle of Cote de Rhone and stuff, but then I just I just wanted more. And so I was just uh, I had a couple of um, throws, which took me to Yangara. It took me to Brash Higgins. It took me to... Um, took me across, actually, a few smaller producers. Uh, but it just left me with this... Just all a sailing palette full of flavour from the Grenache. But did you know? I don't know whether you saw the interview or not, Lukey. But the those eighty-year-old vineyards in Blewett Springs have zero nitrogen in the soils to produce such 
amazing wines. It was one of the quotes that, of the interview that stuck with me, and it's still up on my Instagram feed if, if any of the listeners want to go back and, and, and view it. And I was enamored by the call at the time, but it was just amazing. So how those vines, one, can get green, but two, can make such tasty booze with little to no nitrogen. Actually, there's 0% nitrogen in the soils is amazing. And they still get wines of pH of 3.49 or 3.45. It's pretty astounding. What are they synthesizing? What are they getting there? Because nitrogen is a uh, like a fertilizer, I guess. It's a natural yeah. fertilizer. Yeah, well, they've got... Um, They've got, um, you know, uh, wheat, wheat, wheat grass and rye grass down the middle and things like that. Like they, they do um, other things biodiverse, by, uh, to, to bring biodiversity to their uh, vines. But, yeah, because of the sand, no nitrogen. Wow. Hmm. Well, they're old vines. They must be digging. How Dig- far down are they digging to find, you know, needed minerals? Yeah, you'd reckon... A- a, a while you'd be able to answer that question better than I. I, I, I you know, I, I know Pinot can grow up to three meters. You, you'd assume only because it's a much hardier vine that Grenache would be equal, if not more. Well, when you say grow up to three meters, it, it'd be wrong to put a cap on it, which is, you know, yeah. just the, the obviousness of that statement. Um, but because if the vine needs to find something, it will go find it. Yeah. I've, I've, I've had. Uh, Shiraz, <laughs> we've had Shiraz cuttings, believe it or not, that have been delivered with uh, roots that were, gosh, how far it would it be, like two and a half metres easy? Oh, wow. And uh, that was, in theory, a, a, a cutting that was supposed to put in the ground. So, yeah, they can, they can stretch. They can keep going. They'll, they'll, they want to find some life. They'll find their life. Hmm. That's the vine, well... Arguably, a vine is a weed. You know, they, they'll grow. Give them a chance and they'll grow. Yeah, right. Get on board. Yeah. Hmm. Wow. <laughs> and on, on that note. <laughs> and on that note uh, thank you very much for listening. I've been Luke Campbell. You can find me on the socials at vinified underscore wine underscore services. He's been Luke Morris. We've been Luke's Talk Wine. Don't forget oh, to we vote haven't mentioned our, the Hottest 100. Don't forget to vote in our Hottest 100. Yeah. It's live on our site. I've put it up on my Facebook. I haven't yet worked out how to get it on the Vinified website, but I will. We've got to, we've, we've got to consider when we wrap this up because if we go into 20 episodes and this is like, is, is, are we going to do this as the finale episode? I think so, yes. Okay. Because, yeah. Um, if we've got 20 votes and a maximum of five wines per vote, there's a potential that we have 100 different wines voted for at this stage. I haven't checked. So let's, let's, try, and, let's try and see if we can get like an individual, individual sort of top five. So let's see what we can do about getting a few more votes and get a, a, a top five to announce on the last episode. I love it. All right. And with that and the words of Tony Barber, keep smiling and bye for now. Bye. Vinified are the wine cellars specialists. We're Australia's only personal sommelier service. Our sommeliers work with you to build your cellar. Our aim is to bring you the wines from the freshest new producers 
all based on your tastes. We can come to you, source your wines, present tastings. Think of Vinified as your wine concierge. We can do retail, we can do tastings, we can host your dinner parties, or we can procure you that rare wine. Vinified is proud to be associated with Luke's Talk Wine. www.vinified.com.au